Hello and welcome back to A Reason for Hope. I'm your host, Mario Costabile, and I am so glad you're checking us out today. Array of Hope produces many forms of media, such as films, music, and events. But the A Reason for Hope podcast has a different objective for us. It gives us the opportunity to tackle some deeper topics and subjects about our faith and our church. My interview today was recorded some years ago with Catholic philosopher, theologian, author, and professor Alice von Hildebrand. This is really going to be a very special episode. As some of you might know, Alice passed away this past year and has left a legacy of prolific Catholic writings through her books. So you're in for a treat, and welcome to A Reason for Hope. And here we go. This past year, we witnessed the passing of Alice von Hildebrand, a Catholic philosopher who died at the age of 98. She has influenced my Catholic perspective. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to interview Alice von Hildebrand on a project that we were working on here at Array of Hope. This project was never released, but my interview with Alice was really exciting, enlightening, and informative. So what better way to give tribute to Alice than to release some of this footage now? She was someone who truly lived a saintly life, who spoke the truth without compromise. The first time I became aware of Alice was on a retreat over 15 years ago where she spoke. Shortly after that retreat, I learned about Alice's prolific writings and books. I quickly realized that this was a woman of great wisdom and intellect. Her ability to communicate the truths of our faith were very enticing to me and drew me in. She spoke and wrote with such logic that pointed to the genius of God and His creation. When I met her in person during our interview, I was struck by the person that she was. Her conversations were like she was giving a written talk. Without notes, she spoke with such conviction and such power that was really riveting. I mean, I was struck by her brilliance. I took my wife Sue on this trip, and, and Sue was really excited to meet her. While I was setting up with my film crew, Alice was very welcoming and walked Sue around her apartment there in New Rochelle, New York, telling her stories about when she was younger, showing her pictures when she was young, and sharing her life with her husband, Dietrich von Hildebrand, who was a brilliant German Roman Catholic philosopher and religious writer in his own right. When Alice spoke, she would look right into your eyes and would go deep into subjects. I mean, she was fearless. It was a beautiful experience for both Sue and I. Alice talked about her journey from her early years as a student to being a professor of philosophy at Hunter College for 37 years. She also talked about being a speaker, an author, and about defending the Catholic faith through her bold and unapologetic approach. So here are some excerpts of my discussions with Alice. Alice was very concerned about the future of our country and the belief that education was crucial to the survival of our nation. But she was also very concerned about the state of education, even Catholic education. She shares her thoughts on this and also shares how she got involved in education. The welfare of a society depends on two things, the family and education. And he became increasingly conscious of the fact that in the world in which we live today, education has been hijacked by evil forces. And what do you mean to say by this? And it goes back 
probably for close to a hundred years, even though it was underground. Hatred of the word truth. And this is what I experienced in Hunter. I can only say to defend the objectivity of truth creates panic among intellectual. This is, this is one enemy. And so he knew full well that in the world in which we live, secular university, but increasingly in many so-called Catholic colleges and universities, because today the Catholic colleges and universities that are truly are maybe 10%. No, he knew that. And therefore, in other words, education has been replaced by information and in the majority of cases, misinformation. You know, already in grammar school, we are told, for example, that the only fields in which you can obtain certainty are mathematics and empirical science. All the rest is up for grasp. You have a right to determine your own lifestyle. If something is convenient for you, choose it and live it. And so he knew full well that we not only live in a world where the most important and crucial values are being dethroned. Therefore, we have no illusion. The problems we face are not economic. They are not political. They are moral and religious. And of course, once morality is underlined, undermined, almost inevitably, it's going to lead to atheism. We live in a society where God has been dethroned, and we should not be over, I mean, should not be surprised by the fact that we live in a society which is sick unto death until you go back to God. I repeat, the key to a real education is the word truth. Truth which is not man, truth which is not yours, the truth which is basically an incarnation of God himself. Let us not forget that Christ did not say, I'm preaching the truth. He says, I am the truth. I recall that while teaching philosophy at Hunter, I said, look, philosophy is a study of wisdom. Today we learn facts and we taught wisdom. And I said to the students, do you know big scholars? Yeah, professor so-and-so and professor so-and-so, and they know so much about history. So I said, do you know one wise person in your life? Dead silence. And then a little girl from Puerto Rico says, yes, my grandmother, she's totally uneducated. But every time I have a serious question, about God or about life, she knows the answer. She had wisdom. And in today, wisdom is eliminated. Alice goes to discuss the second key to the health of a society, the family. She discusses the breakdown of the family, its roots in the fall of man and woman, the diabolical nature of the attacks on the family, and the critical role women play in the plan of God. 
No, the second tremendous danger that he perceived very, very clearly is the breakdown of the family. And this is, you know, this is something that we discussed. Why the breakdown of the family? Because if you read the Bible from the very beginning, you're going to see that God gave women a crucial role in redemption and a crucial role in life and a crucial role in the family. You just need to read Genesis. First of all, the origin of women whose body is taken from the body of a living person who has a body of Adam is taken from the slime of the earth, therefore giving it a special dignity. The response of Adam in seeing her is enchantment and gratitude. But much more important, he declares her to be the mother of the living. An amazing title of nobility and gravity. It is not mentioned, I never heard it in a homily, that when she gives birth to Cain, her first child, she exclaims joyfully, with God's help, I have brought a child into the world. I imagine Adam in the background saying, well, I too have something to do with it. His role is crucial and minimal. All that he does is to inject his semen. He has no control at all whether the semen is going to fructuate. This is all directed by God. The moment that the egg of the woman is fecundated, we don't have a human being. We have a living being, we don't have a human being. In this moment, God creates a brand new soul and puts it in the fecundated egg. Something I never heard in homilies, which ought to be proclaimed on rooftops. Therefore, God touches the female body. And whatever God touches is sacred. This is the reason why I believe St. Paul says that women should be veiled in church because veiling expresses sacredness. Eve is, after original sin, she yields to Satan's temptation. And you will notice that the temptation is double. First of all, he promises, thou shalt be like God. You imagine the arrogance of it. This is pride. And then he sees the fruit is appealing. That is concupiscence. She yields. And then gives it to Adam who also takes it. As head of the family, does he object? Does he say, my dear wife, this was prohibited? No. And both of them are terribly punished. And the punishment is death. But 
but her punishment is much more severe than this. Not only is she going to earn her bread with the sweat of her brow, but on top of it, she gives birth in agonizing pains. Now, in other words, what was her glory to give birth is not to be paid with pains. From this moment on, it is a sad story to say that many men have abominably treated Lee because Adam lost sight of the beauty and nobility and so as an object of enjoyment. What does it mean? They saw they were naked. To my mind, it is obvious. They were naked because they stripped themselves of the vestment of purity. And the very, very moment you lay down the vestment of purity, the female body becomes an object of pleasure and attraction. From this moment on, this is what happened. Women treated women abominably, you know, number one, they wanted fun. And then number two, they wanted to have a maidservant. And then in the course of time, God creates one woman, a little girl, born without original sin, all beautiful, gloriously, radiantly pure. And she's offered to become the mother of the Savior. And she's amazed because of her humility. And on top of it, she reminds the angel that she's dedicated her virginity to God and that she's promised she was going to be. And then she conceives someone who in the course of his life is going to be one declaration and say, I am life. You recall she was called Mother of the Living. But Christ declares, I am life itself. No, it is a woman who gave birth to this person who said, I am life. Christ tells us in the Gospel that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. What does a murderer hate? Life. And as the woman is the one giving birth and giving life, it is a woman that he hates. And he hates her because she stands for life and he stands for murder. Now, look at the situation today. In the Garden of Eden, Eve was tempted by pride and by concupiscence. Today, the attack is more diabolical. You know where she's attacked? The dignity of maternity. And I mean, of course, through all sorts of insinuation, the devilish book of Simone de Beauvoir, women are inferior to men. They never produce a Shakespeare, they never produce a Dante, they never produce a Michelangelo, they never produce a Beethoven. What do they produce? Like rats and rabbits. She gives birth to, to children. That's nothing. This is something which is inferior. Therefore, no, this is diabolical. 
in order for women to conquer the position which is their due, we must launch an attack on maternity. This is the one aim of the devil today. Number one, maternity is an unchosen, unwilling burden. We find every single means to prevent it. First, a pill, and if it doesn't work, abortion. Number two, to give birth puts it on the level of animals. Number three, it is responsible for women have produced, quote, nothing. And no women swallowed this lie and this poison. And this is why you will notice today that the pill is a matter of course, that abortion is more and more legally accepted. In other words, the duel is between Satan and the woman. And it is attack on life because the woman is the one who gives life to a child. Because a woman is the heart of the family. And the very moment she betrays a mission, the marriage is going to be go to pieces. She won't want to have children because they are a burden. And it breaks down. And this is what is happening in our society. When I discuss with Alice about how to help young people today understand the truth and the value of human life, she gave an answer I didn't expect. Strive yourself for holiness. That is the language that attracts people. And when you strive for holiness and you love God, you emanate a perfume, you emanate a peace that sooner or later, people are going to come and say, I'm so torn, I'm so unhappy, I'm so innerly, I don't know what peace is. What is your secret? Don't preach too soon. You know, the best preaching, this is what struck me about that. He came into the room. You knew that he lived in the presence of God. You knew that he loved God. He didn't need to speak. We believe that it's talking and talking and talking. It is at times called for and necessary. You know, when I was teaching in Hunter, obviously, teaching is teaching and you have to talk. I'm not going to say, well, today I'll teach you in silence. You've got to use words to communicate your message. But I do believe it all begins here. You know, striving for holiness, striving and understanding that we should live in dialogue with God. I recall I was in grammar school or in high school, and the notes were said, St. Paul tells us that we should be praying at all times. And my response was, it doesn't make any sense. How can I be praying when I sleep? How can I be praying when I do my housework in mathematics? No, I understand. I understand a little bit what it means. That to live in the presence of God from morning to night to be conscious of His ease and His love me. And then, of course, pray your life. And, of course, the greatest blessing is Holy Mass. We cannot do anything except through God. And that means prayer and sacrifice. You know, I don't think, I think we've lost sight of the fact that sacrifice is something so crucial and so important. Take, for example, the question of uh, s sacrifice in food. 
years ago, I was a graduate from Fordham. I got my master and my PhD at Fordham. And then I found out one very fine day that they introduced a cocktail hour at six o'clock. I was heartbroken. Now, is it a sin to take a cocktail? No. But it was one of the things that if you're a friar or a monk or a priest, you should be sacrifice conscious and eliminate the things that give you pleasure but are not necessary. Believe me, the word sacrifice has been totally eliminated in education. And you know, sacrifice is a trip. You know, little things. It can be food, it can be drink, it can be short in your sleep, but I mean, nevertheless, conscious of the fact that because of original sin, in all of us, there's a law of gravity pulling us downward. But I mean, by ourselves, we can do nothing with God's help. And you know, for example, one thing that can be very helpful in my education, already at the age of five or six, I knew that there was something called the saints. And when I learned how to read, I remember being seven, probably the nuns gave me a little book on the life of a little French boy, Guy de Fongalon, who died at the age of eight. And he had a lovely face, and of course I fell in love with him. And I read his life, a short life, and I recall I never forgot it. He said to his mother, Mammy, I've never said no to God. This one sentence has remained with me from the time I was eight years old. I never said no to God. What about myself? How often we say no to God because we don't like it. So therefore, to tell a child we live in a world which has a lot of problems, but look, there are some people, because of their love and closeness with God, rages peace. What do we want? We crave for peace. And peace is that there's harmony between us and God. But I mean, directly, there's very little we can do. You see, we just have to acknowledge say to God, I cannot do it. Even if you're very brilliant, very famous, but with him, you know, the detour, you know, I tell you, the detour through God is the key to a happy marriage. And even a beautiful love between husband and wife can lead to conflicts because, number one, we are fallen creatures because there's a conflict of it. The very moment that you make the detour through God, you truly start loving your husband when you love him with Christ, and then it blossoms, because, I mean, otherwise, inevitably, there are problems. This is what we forget. Dietrich von Hildebrand also wrote a powerful book on humility. You know, he might very well be a saint in heaven, even though he hasn't been formally declared by the church. And so might Alice. It is beautiful to think of the two of them being united, even though we've lost these two beautiful, powerful voices here on Earth. May these two great Catholics pray for us.
you know, his beautiful book, Literature and Personality, was just reprinted. And there's one chapter called Reverence. No, reverence is a virtue which is hardly ever mentioned. And reverence is so crucial. There are things that call for awe, that call for respect, and today nothing is respected. Take, for example, a key to purity. You know what it is? A respect. This is what young girls should be taught, and this is what they're now trying to... I call it intimate sphere, a sexual sphere. It's a secret. It is my secret. And this is why it calls for veiling. This is lost today. Reverence is a key to my relationship to other people. And the second thing is purity. And purity, my husband's beautiful book, in defense of purity, the realization this is something which is mysterious, which is secret, which is deep, and therefore must be veiled and respected, unless with God's permission you are permitted to reveal it without a... Believe me, these are two virtues that are never mentioned. Maybe you see people should be honest or something like that. There's the reverence and purity. And I mean, this is one of the great, great contributions of my husband. He gave hundreds and hundreds of talks, spoke in 17 countries in four different languages. And I tell you exactly the last talk that he gave. He died in 77. And in 73, he was invited to give talks in California. And it was shortly after Roe and Wade. And I still see him on the podium, you know, thundering against abortion. And these are the last words he said. He never gave a note, he said. And he says, and I warn you, a country that legalizes the murder of the innocent is doomed. And he stepped down from the field. That was his last talk. Legalize the murder of the innocent. Of course he was. The last years of his life, he was by nature very cheerful, you know, very Italian in his ways. He sobbed a great deal. He sobbed because of the destruction of the liturgy. He sobbed because he saw immorality creeping in in Catholic colleges. He saw because he considered abortion to be... You know, by the way, this is something many people do not know. In 1930, the Lambeth Conference in England allowed for the first time, you know, justified birth control for Protestants. Who was the first Catholic who within weeks Challenge it and hold it back. Did this one in brand. In July 68, we were in Italy and Paul VI wrote Humane Vitae. You know, by the way, when he gave this declaration, 
we were about 50 years from it because my husband's nephew was German at the ambassador of the Holy See, so we invited and we were there. And then it was a, a la pillola e proibita. All the newspapers in Florence at Paul la pillola, la pillola, la And uh, immediately there was people protesting, you know. He goes, he goes to Germany, he always spend the month of August in Germany. Within one month, he wrote a Humane Vitae, a sign of contradiction. It was published in September. I still have a copy of it, and then was translated into English and French and Italian and so on, because he said the very moment that the murder of the innocent is permitted, the society is doomed. Doom is finished, it's over. And this is what we are feeling. So, I mean, from one point, many people said to him, when Hitler came to power, no, ten years before, he started to thunder against Nazis. Oh, you exaggerate, and you're a pessimist, and you know it's not that bad. And we need a change. Beware of that. We need a change. Yes, but if change is for the worse. So he, he was, I mean, that was a gift. He was clear-sighted. And as I told you when he was saying, he said, we are going downhill, we are going towards a disaster. But you do not see what do you do want to see. You don't. And we don't want to see it because it's not convenient. I know people that are very good people, they would not lift a finger to find because it's risky and your career and this and that and that. You know, my husband knew a very holy monsignor in Rome. You'll have to translate it. And he said to my husband, Fra uomo, i poveri uomo, c'è solamente una piccola differenza. Between man and a weak man, the difference is very small. We uh, take, take be beloved Peter. Never I will betray, I'll give my life for you. And three hours later, because of the remark of a maid, I swear I don't know this man. I mean, therefore, this teaches us humility. Without you, O oh Lord, I can do nothing, absolutely nothing. And we realize this is why the saints are humble. Hey, everybody. We got some exciting news. We have a whole new Array of Hope app and channel, a video destination where everyone can find meaningful and inspiring videos and resources to help bring them closer to God. This is available on your desktop, Roku, Apple TV, iPhones, and Android mobile phones and tablets. This channel has movies, short, faith-filled segments, live events, and programs. You've got to check it out. Sign up by going to watch.arrayofhope.net and then download the app at the App Store by just typing in Array of Hope. Well, we come to the end of yet another podcast, and I'm so glad you were able to join us today. 
I want to remind you to please share this podcast with as many people as possible. Let everybody know. If you've been blessed by our work, please consider going to our donation page on our website at arrayofhope.org. Also, please join us on social media where it keeps us connected to our faith through our music, videos, and daily reflections. There's lots of great stuff to share with you and experience. Also, we pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet daily on Instagram at 3 p.m. So please join us as we pray together as a universal church. And lastly, go to the Array of Hope channel where you can see our next Rise Up show live, a Catholic variety show of sorts. It's great stuff for the entire family to enjoy. So thanks for joining us today. And there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. You know that I've had a very, very long day. I think that the lemon has been squeezed to the right.